This episode is brought to you by the Elite Academy, formerly known as hrvcourse.com. The Elite Academy now offers in-depth online courses on multiple subjects. So if you're enjoying the content of this podcast, but you're looking for a more structured and logical progression, looking at the science and application of these subjects, check out the Elite Academy at elitehrv.com academy. Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. This is your host, Jason Moore. And today we have joining us Molly McLaughlin from, where are you from today, Molly? (laughs) Well, where in the world I'm from right now is over in Vegas right now. I've been traveling for the past couple years. Um, So I'm over here for a couple months and, but I am the owner of a company called Sleep is a Skill that looks at optimizing sleep through technology, accountability, and behavioral change. And, you know, you and I connected um, months back now uh, over your podcast and over HRV and sleep and found that we had a lot of deep mutual interests in this space. And uh, the more I kind of got to learn about what you were up to, of course, you were trying to learn a little bit about HRV from me, but uh, as an aside, I was really fascinated by your work on this concept around sleep as a skill. And so, uh, like you said, you've been traveling, you've been dealing with your own types of sleep challenges over the past few years. And then we connected over the fact too, that I've recently had a baby, which has been probably my biggest disruption to sleep in my life, uh, in, (laughs) in memory. And so (laughs) you're not alone. Yes. Yes, exactly. There's a lot to unpack on this topic. Oh, yeah. I know. I loved, we had such a great conversation and it was so nice um, to just have this perspective and shared interest and intrigue around sleep and from a place of really possibility and what could be put in to make a difference in our sleep also from a bit of a maybe arguably nerdy perspective of pulling out of looking at our biometrics and comparing data um, and seeing, you know, what's there, what's working, what's not working. And I think there's something really exciting um, that we're all kind of on the brink of as we move into, you know, 2020 around what is possible in our health and well-being and on this interest, on this topic of sleep, what we can all do to make a difference uh, together and as with shared information around habits, behaviors, outlooks, perspectives, gadgets, gizmos, but also mindset, um, a lot of things there. So I'm excited to, you know, dive in together. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's what's, uh, I'm excited to skip to that part since I already got to know you a little bit, but I think it's great (laughs) to share with folks, you know, how you ended up in this space and where did that idea of sleep as a skill even come from for you? Oh, sure. Yeah. So it's uh, where I am on this topic is I am so, um, personally connected because if you look back at my relationship to sleep, 
Um, you know, so I'm 34 right now and the majority of my life I spent doing all the things wrong that you could possibly do in the world of sleep, you know, just this maladaptive way of relating to, um, you know, habits, behaviors, rituals, things in the world of sleep. And, and that was okay with me for many, many years. And I was, you know, I would proclaim to be a night owl and that's how things were. And, um, as you know, I've been an entrepreneur for many years and, you know, I would be able to go to bed as the sun was rising. And that was just how it was until my stress levels, anxieties um, began to travel a lot and adding jet lag into the mix. All of that kind of created this perfect storm. And then I could not sleep. I just couldn't. <laughs> I had never really experienced anything quite like it. And it was just days and days and in another, you know, foreign countries because we're, uh, my boyfriend and I were traveling at the time, beginning of this kind of nomadic journey. And it was a very scary time and a kind of just this wake up call for me. And what ended up happening was I went to the doctors, um, you know, I was traveling and uh, at the time I was in Croatia. And what, what else could they do? But they gave me basically their equivalent of, you know, prescription sleep aid. Um, you know, in, uh, we weren't even speaking English. There was like Google translate to mm, let mm. me know, <laughs> you know, like, here you go and, and bye. Um, and you know, nothing to their, nothing against them. Cause what else were they really supposed to do? And then I was kind of left in a place of there must be another way. And, you know, of course there's, um, me being me, I'm obsessive personality. So I went down the rabbit hole of all the, you know, possibilities. And I did a lot of doing, you know, I, I can rattle off a million things that I really started trying to do and nothing was seeming to work from that perspective. Um, and so it, so in began this kind of quest of how can, how to improve my sleep. And one of the things that I found was missing from my experience was a shared kind of, um, uh, being able to share it with others, being open about this. Cause I felt like I was really going through this on my own and had a lot of shame around it and, you know, embarrassment that something so primal, you would think it was be like a given right was missing. Um, you know, the ability to sleep, I would literally look enviously, you know, to other, you know, would be walking through airports and kids would be sleeping and, you know, grandparents would be sleeping. It, it was something that I just was not able to have any sort of, um, say in was my experience. And so to make a long story short, then, um, was, Basically, what I got to was that in order to change my own sleep, I really had to get up under many things that were not working in my life and make a real difference in a number of areas um, and began this you know, endeavor. And it really ended up being one of the best things that could have happened for me. Um, and, you know, of course I didn't know that at the time, but, you know, by going through it, it was so fantastic. I have this relationship to sleep now that I, I have a knowing, you know, there's so many exciting things coming out in the world of chronobiology and circadian rhythm. Um, you know, it's being able to strengthen and have a, a say in your circadian rhythm and how it's operating your hormones. Um, you know, so we can really go down the rabbit hole, but the end game ended up being that, 
I now get to experience myself waking up with the type of, you know, really count onable, consistent energy, um, you know, refresh, feeling refreshed each day that I had spent most of my life not knowing was possible. Um, and so what that parlayed into was just a real passion um, and energy around this topic. And I think we're at a really exciting time, um, almost like this kind of sleep renaissance because it's, you know, there's such a buzz around this topic because there's such a need for the buzz. You know, there's such a sleep epidemic that's really happening, sleep deprivation epidemic, um, you know, that people want to have some answers or some guidance or some awareness or some dialogue. And I think we're at the time for that. So um, that's where I'm at now. And so now I started with, you know, one-on-one small group trainings. It kind of just happened naturally as I was so immersed or immersed in this topic. And, um, and then it grew into, into more than that. So I started, um, so basically I've created a online training course around the topic, um, you know, putting together a podcast and just the more that we can bring up this, um, bring this topic into an area that people are now putting energy, uh, towards and making room for it in their life in a way that's maybe uncommon in, in our current society is really exciting. And a lot of it ends up, and we'll get into this, but it ends up being about subtraction versus addition. It ends up about going backwards, back to basics, kind of looking back to how, you know, our hunter-gatherer ancestors really related to sleep and bringing that simplicity as much as possible in a modern day to us. And that's where the skill set part comes into play. I know Mm. that was a lot, but no, no, that's that's huge. Yeah, there's there's we'll definitely unpack some of this. And you know, I like that um instead of just talking about uh, you know, how to immediately optimize your environment, you uh bring up deeper subjects like being vulnerable, for example, like you know, being willing to be real with yourself and real with the people around you and say, Hey, I'm not perfect, I have issues just like anyone else. Um, is part of how you can start breaking down the barriers um, and then really starting to think about that skill uh, that you can improve. And I think that's one of the nice things I like about the sleep as a skill uh, brand or message, so to speak, is that it immediately communicates that um, this is something that you can work to improve like any other skill almost, right? You know, there's going to be... Uh, ways that you can practice and you're not going to necessarily be an expert immediately, but you can make progress and it's something that you can work towards. And that's pretty powerful, I think, or empowering. Mm, Yeah. I I love that you're um, tapping into that because I think there's so much there. One of the things that I see a lot is people you know, when, when people have gotten to me, usually not always, but usually it, this has been a persistent problem for them for a long time. And so by the time they're getting to me, there's a lot of labels that have been, um, that they've taken on for themselves, you know, whether it's, Oh, I'm a bad sleeper. Oh, you know, I went through menopause and things changed. Um, Uh, My family, you know, we're just a bunch of night owls. We're, you know, a whole lot of things that can keep our ways of being in a fixed um, place 
if not un, if not examined and kind of um, peeled back, you know, peeling back those layers to see what is possible. And that's often becomes part of the work is to have that paradigm shift that if we are changing the game and looking at this as a skill set and not just something that, you know, you're born into as either good, bad, right or wrong, um, then it puts us all back on the, you know, equal playing field. And I think one of the things that people have um, responded to with um, with some of the stuff that I'm putting out is because, you know, like I've shared, I've been traveling now for around the past three years, been in, you know, any, any given day in a new Airbnb, a new spot, a new place in the world um, internationally. And, you know, so I'll share my own sleep challenges as I'm going in, you know, to different environments regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then what to do, you know, some of the tactics or ways of approaching it, um, that can make a difference when constantly kind of out of your, um, you know, maybe our pristine or ideal environments that we might want to create for ourselves around our sleep. And, um, you know, it's just not life. It's not how it goes. So, um, <laughs> that's so, you know. <laughs> that's so true. And, uh, it's really interesting, you know, being able to relate to that is that in a way, like when we're at home and we've, we've been settled now for a couple of years in one spot and we've really kind of got our routine down. Right. And so, Right. Now we notice a lot more if the routine gets disrupted and for example, having a baby, but that's obviously going to disrupt any routine, but, but anything that kind of gets abnormal, like we had a neighbor that installed a new light on their house and it, it was so much brighter than any other light around that it was mm. noticeable in our bedroom when we're not, we're used to sleeping in virtually pitch black. And, um, but then when we were traveling for a couple of years, we, like you said, we're in new environments all the time. We didn't have control over every situation and we had to adapt to that. And part of that was a mind shift or a mindset shift, um, mm -hmm. to deal with that. And it's amazing. I didn't even realize, you know, I, I, I realized as soon as I say it, but I didn't realize how much I had become dependent on my routine recently until having the baby. Uh, so. Yeah, absolutely. And because when, when you throw in those changes, I mean, like you just said, you know, arguably for outside looking in, it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, the neighbor added a light, you know, little change, but it ends up being a, a real change. Like this is a real thing that then can really disrupt your sleep. There's so many interesting, um, studies on, you know, the power of just some of the arguably like nominal things or that we would think would be nominal, um, that can just really have impacts on the sleep quality. Um, and you know, light is one that you're touching on that can make a difference, um, you know, plus or minus. And when we're talking about really just being at the whim of whatever place that we're, you know, choosing to stay at, um, you know, if we're in different sleep environments, um, or even our own environment that we live in day in and day out for the people that are not necessarily traveling, um, even our own environment, we might not have taken the time to create in a way or have the, um, or have the knowledge uh, that some of these little things can really impact how we're feeling when we wake up the next morning. Right. And so, I, there's a couple of things that I think that you have 
uh, really, I mean, you have a unique approach to a lot of this stuff, but there's a few things that really stand out for me selfishly that I would love to pick your brain on. And I, one of those is chronobiology. And um, it's something that really fascinates me. I've done a lot of my own reading on, but um, I really want to kind of hear your take on how much of chronobiology is sort of genetically driven, which I've heard uh, both sides, both opinions on that. Um, and then how much of that is about um, sort of the more adaptation and maladaptation side of the equation. And I know there's not, I'm not asking for like you to quantify a percentage of each, but in your experience, you know, like you said, you used to be a night owl and now something has changed. So clearly your genetics at least didn't inhibit you from making that switch. But how would you go about thinking about the relationship between somebody who just says like, I'm a night owl, there's nothing I can do. I'm up at night. That's all right. Oh yeah. So this is uh, such a great way, um, to kind of segue into that because it's such a big topic. So this area, this area of chronobiology is really looking at, you know, the science of time. Um, and I think it's such a fascinating way to even approach life in general, you know, to come at it from pulling back. So, uh, you know, to use, um, uh, some of my own, the personal example of what had worked and what didn't. Um, so for me, for years, I would be relating to uh, time. And the, so when we talk about chronobiology, it's a lot about the rhythms that are out there right now, or not even out there, but just in general that are even within our own body. So our own um, innate circadian rhythms, but also there are um, other rhythms that exist that we might not even realize are making an impact on um, how we show up moment to moment. So, you know, examples of that are, you know, the, when we think about it, it's always sort of mind blowing, you know, um, the, how the moon impacts, you know, waves and the lunar cycles and, you know, birds are, um, you know, just have this natural knowingness of how to migrate and when, and, you know, women with menstruation, um, you know, cycles, there's so many things that are just sort of fascinating that we don't necessarily think of day in, day out of how do these things happen and how do these things happen? Um, just, you know, regularly time and time again. So the reason that we pull back into that kind of, you know, pan out, um, in that way, and to bring it back to that personal example that I was mentioning is that, you know, so for me living in Manhattan for, many, many years, um, having the ability, you know, kind of the arguably blessing and a curse with, you know, entrepreneurship to be able to make my own schedule. I was completely, um, uh, disconnected from these rhythms of nature and our own internal rhythms of nature. So that 24 hour clock that we're on with our circadian rhythm. Um, and so, you know, in Manhattan, when it was always lights are shining, all the things are happening, I could not tell you when sun would rise, when sun would set. Um, I had no sense of knowingness of, you know, when my digestive process was, you know, an optimal time for that to be happening, when the liver was doing its work. I mean, who is sitting there thinking of those things? <laughs> and yet, <laughs> and yet it can be a fascinating opportunity to pull back and say, 
oh my God, when I am deviating from some of the things that, you know, um, hearkening back to like ancestral, um, perspective from, you know, these hunter gatherer tribes, which thousands of years, um, in comparison to our short little blip of time on this, you know, that we've been living in this way with, um, artificial lights, with indoor living, with, you know, uh, the ability to shift our own indoor temperatures with eating at odd times, you know, Netflix binge and eating popcorn or whatever at, you know, one in the morning and that being sort of normal, all of these things have gotten us a little disconnected from how to be connected with the rhythms um, of our environment in a way that serve our body. So what does that look like? For instance, for just one of the, a nice way to look at it can be to back up and say, how did we do this for many years? And just look at that as an example. So for, for many years, what we would do is the sun would rise and that would be part of the cue since one of the one of the most important cues for our circadian rhythm and how to make sure that it's a strong and healthy kind of active self-generative circadian rhythm and not sort of all over the place um, was coming from that light. So our body is constantly looking to understand really what time it is at any given moment. Mm. Um, and then it, it tells the rest of the cells, you know, essentially what to be doing and the rest of the body processes what to be doing at that time. Um, and since there are photoreceptors, you know, all over our body, there's an element of each cell kind of being linked up to it, having its own clock. And this is all pulling back. Um, this all comes from one master clock in our, in our brains, which is called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And one of the key ways that that gets kind of, you know, tuned, that time gets, um, set is from light is one of the first things that we can look at. So when we would, you know, back in the day, we'd wake up and the, you know, sun would be shining. That would also warm up the environment. Then that temperature would be one of the next cues for us. Um, and so then, you know, what would be released is this nice steady stream of cortisol and which is, you know, gets a bad rap sometimes, but it's really a, not only a blessing, but a very important thing to have regulated. And that's almost like natural coffee to take us through the day. Um, and then you would almost have this, you know, kind of set time that would be, you know, dwindling because you would know, okay, well, I only have a certain amount of hours with sunlight. So let's do all the things that are important for me to do in that day. That includes eating, that includes movement, that includes, you know, um, maybe engaging in passionate topics, which even thoughts can, um, heat up the body, which is another interesting, mind-blowing thing. Interesting. Um, so you, yeah, that was, that one's really cool. There's even gadgets around that to help cool the, the brain, the prefrontal cortex at night. So that's another topic. But, um, so, you know, you, you set, you would set up your day just pragmatically because you knew you only had a few more hours of sunlight. Let's do all the things. And then the sun would set and then that would what's really interesting is that when the sun would set the you know temperature would drop in accordance with that of course and the light being absent the it getting cooler out the inability to really do anything else back in the day you know you weren't going off hunting at night usually um you weren't eating you you know, because of just that drop in temperature, begin to cue the production of melatonin, and you would just naturally start 
kind of downshifting and downregulating. And that would also be in accordance with your exertion levels, you know, so the type of things that you were partaking in, um, you know, if you had that strong circadian rhythm, then, you know, you would just uh, like the type of conversations you'd be engaging in, everything would be about kind of just calming down and then you would, then you would go to sleep. Um, and that's how it was for many, many years uh, until, you know, we now we see the other flip side of that. And so what we do at Sleep as a Skill is start looking at it from um, a number of ways that then impact your uh, that chronobiology, that science of time, your own circadian rhythm. And so what that looks like is a number of things. So it's, you know, consistency is even in that example, it was pretty consistent because it was, you know, set by mm -hmm. external rhythms. So we kind of all, we, part we would just partake in that because that's just how it was. And so the consistency, then light timing is, so now we're having to basically set this up and think about this in a way that we never had to before. So if we're real, you know, arguably biohackers, or if we are, you know, just being mindful and, you know, want to take care of, help guide our body to what to be doing at different uh, moments of the day, then we would look at light timing, darkness timing, look at meal timing. That's another fascinating one, how eating actually tells your body what time it is. So it's a responsibility that we can all take on. Um, and that can be a real game shifter into our sleep quality, uh, temperature timing. Um, also back on that light topic, um, along with the light timing, that darkness timing is another big forgotten one, <laughs> um, you know, to actually bring in darkness intentionally in the evenings, um, full darkness, which is, you know, so even taking like a, a candle challenge and looking at how we could bring in, you know, just some of that old school firelight or, you know, you know, red light. That's a big topic to dive into too. And then that thought timing, um, you know, so I would have many clients that would have, um, just out of habit, you know, people would be um, arguing with their spouse or getting in just kind of heated topics um, just out of a facet of the setup of their day that maybe that was the only time when they would, you know, have available to go over the bills or go over things that are just um, charged. And then that would have kind of an activation process in the evening. And that can even heat you up, which is really interesting. Um, Interesting. Yeah, that's that is. I mean, you can you can almost um, give people can kind of think of situations where, like, if you're uh, extremely embarrassed or extremely angry, and your face kind of flushes, and you can almost feel the temperature change. Yes. Then, to me, that's maybe illustrative of uh, temperature changes that you may not even notice, but can still happen if you're experiencing rises and falls in emotions. Absolutely. I mean, and so with that, it's really interesting when some of these studies that will look at, you know, long, um, long time insomniacs is how they've identified or labeled themselves. Um, and when they look at some of these studies, they tend to find that there's this um, mismatch in the evening where some of, not always, but there's, there can be times when there's a shift in the um, kind of hormonal regulation. And instead of that nice, reliable melatonin production happening in the evening, um, they'll, it would almost be flip-flopped. And, you know, they would be getting 
anxious. They would be getting, there's cortisol production happening when you're meant to have the exact opposite. Um, and with mm. that, then a temperature increase um, seems to be linked up with that. So that's why some of these new gadgets that push for ways in which to cool down both, you know, the, the bed environment, the, so the sleep environment, but also even, um, there's, I mean, I'm literally testing one right now. That's, um, you put it on your head, like kind of a, you know, a headband and it cools down your prefrontal cortex, um, throughout the entire night. So, you know, there's just wild, interesting. I mean, the world of, um, you know, sleep is a big business right now, um, because there's such a want and kind of, uh, from depending on who you're speaking to a desperation, like just help, just get me to sleep. And uh, <laughs> so out come all these gadgets. And, you know, that does lead me to one of my kind of main principles at the same time, while there are the opportunities to, you know, test out all these fun things, which is great. Um, one of my main kind of guiding, uh, ideologies is basically this thing I call the desert Island method. And, with the desert island method is while these can be wonderful and so you know cool and 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 important you know can really make the difference from you know just a uh, years and years of not sleeping to beginning to you know kind of crack that co- code and bringing back the ability to calm the body calm the mind and bring sleep the gift of sleep back um, and with this desert island approach how we can as an overarching um, kind of uh, uh, North Star almost get to a place where we could be dropped on a desert island with nothing on our back, basically, and still know ourselves to have incredible sleep, even without all the accoutrements. Um, and that was really important to me too, because when I was traveling, you know, you'd have a backpack and a you know um, carry on. It's like you're not going to bring all these things. You're <laughs> <laughs> just not doing that, right? Um, and so it's important, even just from a from a mindset pers- um, perspective, to have that inner locus of control that I can do this. Because you know, in my acute period when I was missing that, it felt very like a, a vulnerable and hard time um, to think, you know, that just you're you don't have a say in the matter. So I think that's really important to bring back ultimately. And then we can bring in the gadgets and gizmos and have fun with that. But just knowing that there's no crutch here. Yeah, that's a really, I I really like that word crutch. Um, I've used crutches before and seen um, how my my leg, which I broke in high school, um, shriveled up into a useless thing. Yes. And, uh, and it too. took me- Yeah, the atrophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it, it atrophied with the lack of use, and of course, that was really important for the recovery because obviously, I was he- healing a broken bone. Um, but what was really important afterwards is that I didn't use those crutches for the rest of my life, and mm-hmm. I didn't have a cast on my leg for the rest of my life. Right. So once I could get back to a point to do physical therapy and slowly ease into it, there was no question at any point in the process that was like, well, should I just give up and just wear this cast all forever, right? Um, yes. and, and wear crutches forever, which may <laughs> may give me bigger triceps, but it will not do much for my leg. Um, so That's a great visual too. It's a really important takeaway because um, you see, you know, when you see it from that 
uh, kind of, you know, perspective, it's so obvious. Like, of course, you wouldn't be running around with that for life. And yet that's kind of what's um, marketed right now. So we have to be careful in the world of um, sleep optimization that, you know, we're not just feeding the consumerist, you know, the consumeristic tendencies that we, that are embedded in our society at the moment that, oh, well, this, this pill, this supplement, this gadget, this blanket, this whatever, you know, while valuable, um, maybe isn't the, the whole thing. Maybe that's not the whole story. Yeah. And, you know, I want to highlight two things that you kind of, two themes, I guess, that you kind of shared with us. And one of that, one of them was that timing uh, of things was really important. And that between eating, thinking, exercising, um, kind of routines with light and temperature, that there was a big aspect of timing uh, related to that chronobiology. And that that's part of the skill aspect of, of things that you can train to improve those timings and then uh, retrain your body, so to speak. Um, and then the other aspect of it was self-awareness and how, you know, I like to say too that um, the tools that we, the, the best tools are the ones that teach you more about yourself and so that you can gain that self-awareness. And it's it's not about becoming dependent, um, at least not to the point where you can't make decisions. Like, for example, if you're dropped on a desert island, like you said, which right. I think is a, a great analogy. And um, the, the other way that, you know, I, occasionally I like to do is go camping. And, you know, that's a nice reset for me. Mm. And I have this funny uh, relationship with technology because on the one hand, I really like to be lead a simple life. I like to spend time in nature. Um, I don't like staring at a screen all day, even though I do spend hours and hours a day doing that. Um, but I also am really kind of enamored with technology. I think it's an amazing thing. Um, it's an extension of humanity that has been with us for since consciousness and uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. And so uh, my kind of journey has led me to the finding this happy medium or trying to where I can use technology to help me with the world that we live in. And so I guess what I mean by that is sometimes unnatural situations call for unnatural solutions, right? Mm, that's a tweetable. <laughs> yeah. That is <laughs> really <you> wise. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Jason. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, uh, but so it, you know, that's kind of how I've uh, ended up striking a balance there is to say like, okay, well, um, if I want to be better at exercise, you know, I can get the most advanced machinery ever to help me target every single muscle specifically and break it all down. Or I can just like go rock climbing outside right? And both of those have their place. And in fact, if you have some type of major imbalance or you have some sort of impingement or injury or a lifelong uh, of sitting that you're trying to get back into exercise, then actually the fancy machinery might be the better choice for you until you can get to that Mm. point where you can safely go rock climbing, right? And uh, then with technology, kind of bringing it back around to sleep as well, is you could um, put yourself in some type of uh, Star Wars-like 
uh, chamber that has all of the gadgets that you could ever imagine. And it could maybe even like uh, inject oxygen into your uh, <laughs> lungs or something like that. I love this place. I think we have a retreat idea. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so on the one hand, that actually might be what somebody needs to reset. Yeah. But on the other hand, if that's the only place that you ever sleep, then you're in for a rude awakening if you ever want to go outside of that bubble, right? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, this is a real... Oh, sorry. I love what no, you're just, saying yeah, here. The last piece about it is that the other opportunity you have with the technology is to kind of uh, cut back some of the noise of our modern life and get data that's more meaningful to you and helps you understand what's going on inside, right? Yeah. Absolutely. No, that was so well said. Um, cause I think it is all about striking this balance and I will share too, that, um, a lot of the people I work with, I have an interesting kind of collection of, um, kind of some of my main, uh, groups of people that, that I work with right now. And it's an interesting smattering. So it will be, um, often a lot of retirees, um, women that have gone through menopause or are going through menopause. Um, and I've also worked with a lot of poker players. So all of these groups are, have very different things that they're dealing with, right, around sleep, but they have this shared commonality of kind of this often being mystified at where do I begin? What is worth the time, energy, and effort? What do I, um, where do I start? You know, there's 9 million articles out there, top 10 ways to get sleep, just help. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and, and with that, I think what you're, what you're pointing to is so wise and it's such a, because part of what we've gotten into is kind of self-created because we've gotten away from that, you know, paint, paint that picture that we painted earlier of how it was for thousands of years. And now we've kind of self-created this you know, almost like zoo-like way of living where we're indoor animals now. Um, and so we always have to faux, you know, have this faux environment of uh, natural rhythms of nature, like how to set our nest device to have the temperature change in, you know, ways that would mimic the outside world, how it, you know, naturally happened, all these things that we have to kind of be mindful of. And one of the coolest ways to get at that and to start making sense of it all is to have some of these really wonderful, you know, biometric tools and HRV being one of them. So I love the work that you're doing. Um, and it was part of that, you know, shared interest to connect, um, you know, a few months back and it continues to be such a really powerful way. I mean, I'm a very, you know, nerdy person by nature and Though I like the idea of subjective measurements, how you feel in, how's the sleep going, all that stuff. At the same time, there's there's nothing more impactful that I've found, even for those um, you know retirees. I've got seventy year olds wearing <laughs> different you know trackers that will look at their uh, sleep numbers, and one of the most one of the most telling um, areas you know metrics that we look at is the HRV. So HRV over time, um, I was sharing with you in the, in the prep for this, that one of our end of the year, um, things that we do is look at all, you know, so all these gadgets that they may or may not be wearing, um, we pull back specifically the HRV and look at it over, you know, an annualized way. And then we'll break it up quarterly and we'll 
dive in and kind of reflect on what was working, what was not working when our HRV was, you know, kind of deviating from our baseline, um, either positively or negatively, and start to peel back what we could then apply going forward that would make a difference um, in our sleep and our health and our, you know, sense of well-being and ultimately peace of mind, which is the, you know, arguably one of the most important things to be able to lay your head on the pillow and, you know, drift off effortlessly to sleep is, you know, having that, um, and having the, the skills and the tool sets available to be able to guide your body into that place day in, day out. The, one of the take one of the key things that I share with people often is that if you're waiting to impact your sleep, when you get into bed, it's, really too late. <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah. a lot of these things we need to be working on from, you know, it, it's a day thing. It's approaching these things during the day, during these daylight hours, really first thing. Um, you know, so we do a lot of cool stuff around. Um, so I have a set up a sleep bot. So every person that I work with gets a morning um, kind of, you know, rundown of a series of questions to kind of debrief that night before and then um, set themselves up powerfully to do the things that we're working on and the behaviors that we know from this perspective of, you know, chronobiology and circadian rhythm optimization that will help them with their sleep. So, you know, one simple one that I'll share with you guys is so basic that we forget. And it's really just getting outside, no matter if it's cold, if it's, you know, not cold, whatever, getting outside first thing in the morning um, and getting without sunglasses on, without hats, without all the things, um, getting that morning sunlight in your eyes for at least around 20 minutes. So, you know, take a morning walk. We build it into the, to the architecture of their, of their days and their schedules and their calendars. And it becomes a non-negotiable, um, to just get outside because why that's important is like we, you know, kind of touched on before, if light is one of the key indicators or, um, kind of timekeepers for a circadian rhythm, what that does is essentially acts as, um, so one researcher, Dan Party, who's fantastic, um, he coined it as uh, basically sunlight anchoring. So light anchoring is such a powerful way, one of, you know, just even to try, you know, tomorrow or what have you, um, because what that does is it sets the basically almost if you think of like an hourglass is just, you know, it's, it's saying to yourself, the minute you have that light is when the body's kind of saying like, okay, this is the start of the day. I'm going to do all the things that would happen in the start of the day. And then it kind of has this countdown. And what that does is then that helps, um, you know, many hours later into the evening, then there's this natural, if we're on a 24 hour cycle, then, you know, it would have that countdown methodology. And then you would have a production of melatonin. If you're not getting yourself having any sort of light, um, bright light exposure until who knows, you know, in the afternoon, mm -hmm. uh, whatever it that shifts when your melatonin is going to be produced reliably in the evening there's you know more to it um as far as also guiding it with darkness and what have you but that's one way that's so simple that we don't think about it and it then it can be mind blowing and life changing when you start adding that in um and you can s measure it then with your hrv with your sleep stages um, with a lot of things. I love that you bring up the first thing in the morning when you wake up and, you know, that really setting the stage for the day. And um, 
I would bet that 99.9%, if not 100% of the people who are hearing this message can go outside first thing in the morning <laughs> and get that sunlight. No matter where you yes. are in the world, the sun reaches you at some point. If you're on the poles and it's winter time, um, then, you know, we'll see you in the summertime, but you can do it then. <laughs> and yeah, and then you can utilize cold therapy, you know, so then arguably that's going to benefit your mitochondrial functioning, which is important for the body to actually produce and to have the energy to then set up a day that would, um, result in the production of melatonin at the end of the night. I mean, it's really mind blowing how many things that we do each day, um, you know, I'll just share even like a simple and yet, you know, really life-changing thing that's happened for me. I think I already mentioned it in passing, but for a long time, my evenings were all about night eating. And I mean, again, so simple, all about night eating. And that was, I was justified, righteous. I'd had a hard day or whatever. And I have earned my, usually it was popcorn. I'm a popcorn nut. And right. <laughs> and it would just, and it was such a great one too, because it would last so long and I could just keep eating it. And it just would be this like experience that never ended the oral fixation, the, <laughs> all the things. And so it was for years that would sort of just be like what I would do at the end of the night. And we're talking, you know, I'd shared that I would be going to bed so late that this would be happening, you know, one, two in the morning. Um, unbeknownst to me, that was yet another cue to the body that would be a confusion, a mismatch in, um, our natural, you know, like timing of that super chiasmatic nucleus, because basically if I'm sending the signal that now I've got to send all this blood flow to the, to the stomach to digest this, you know, huge amount of food that I would have to be putting in, um, what that would do would then distract from the body's ability once I would go to sleep to do the things that are, you know, truly important and vital. And now we're seeing these really eye-opening links and um, possible correlations between, you know, neurodegenerative issues, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, all of these things that are, um, that can be tended to when, so with glymphatic drainage, it's one of, you know, those, that newer concept that we're, now, um, getting familiarized around that the brain almost needs, it's like power washing at night to get the cellular waste out. If it's being distracted while I'm sleeping with then having to do this really taxing process of digestion, um, how can it then also at the same time, you know, do these really important things, you know, with, um, with cleaning and repairing and cellular repair throughout the rest of the body and particularly the brain. Um, it, it just really, it cannot do that. And so for HRV, um, that's been one of the clearest changes, um, that I've been able to make. And so it, it's, it's coded under what people are calling either, um, circadian rhythm, intermittent fasting, or early time restricted eating. All of these different words are just, or terms are a fancy way of saying, trying to keep your food between sunrise and sunset. Um, there's cool apps out there that are available that will geotag you based on where you are and, you know, uh, help you guide you to ensure like almost gamify it to see, oh shoot. And like last week I was eating outside of sunrise sunset too much, you know, harking back to what you said about sometimes, un, you know, it, it, it takes this, um, kind of unnatural ways to, of being to get us outside of these unnatural situations. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, you know, those are some simple ways that we can begin to bring awareness to all the choices that we make day in, day out, um, that often, you know, we were totally oblivious, were really at the root of uh, reliably unsatisfactory sleep. And I think it's such a cool, exciting way to begin to live a more um, conscious life because we get to see, you know, those sleep bot questions that I have every morning with people. It's like, you know, there can almost be periods of frustration. Like, why do I keep doing the same thing <laughs> over and over again? I know not to do like, what is like the definition of madness? Why am I doing this? And yet we all have some version of that. Right. You know, we might have the food thing down, but then we've got problems with, you know, I don't know, we work out too late or we, you know, get in those fights at night or whatever. Um, and it all becomes about panning back and taking the time to, um, reflect and then consciously, um, begin to choose from, you know, almost a compounding effect way of looking at things that even if it's just one, you know, one thing that we do each day, that's kind of helping to guide our body to a stronger circadian rhythm, then that's a win. And, you know, compound that by 365 days a year and, add a couple of years and you're a sleep master and that's where the skill set comes in. Yeah, that's huge to talk about it in such a way where you can break it down and not have to feel like you need to go from wherever you are now to some type of perfect ideal life where all of a sudden you have no eating outside of light and you're, you know, per, you know, perfectly controlling your schedule and everything and and right. what's interesting is and I just had somebody um, in my office, uh, a little bit ago before this recording say that, um, they had gotten serious about fitness about a year or so ago, uh, lost some weight, but there was all these side benefits that they didn't, um, realize that was going to happen, such as increased energy levels, a feeling of confidence and, uh, just, the desire to do things that they didn't think that they ever would be able to do again. And they didn't even realize that those things were subconsciously seeming like out of touch, basically like um, mm. pushing themselves physically a little bit uh, to do things that they basically had resigned to never being able to do in their future. And they're doing this as in their middle aged years. And so, um, mm -hmm. Basically, what my point is with that is if people have this extreme sleep disruption and they look at the you know routine that you've been kind of outlining for us here, it may seem like a lot, but I think that you do a really good job yes. saying that this is a skill that you can make take small steps towards. And I, again, kind of hearkening back to that, just do one thing first thing in the morning, right when you get up, because that's no matter what you know, everyone has to start their day, right? So, uh, yes. <laughs> so basically setting the beginning of your day up as best you can and not uh, dogging on yourself if you mess it up every now and then, but just trying to like stick with that routine will have a compounding effect over time that you can build upon. And I want to make an analogy real quick to uh, I like analogies and metaphors and I half the time don't know the difference between the two, but, um, <laughs> Love <laughs> there it. was another episode <laughs> on the show where we were talking about meditation and the person said, 
the, that I was interviewing said, you know, most people should meditate for uh, 10 minutes a day unless they're busy. Then they should meditate for 20. <laughs> yes, those counterintuitive things. Right. And huge. so I think that the, the point there is that, you know, you talk about going on a 20 minute walk outside in the morning and people might be thinking, well, I don't yeah. have 20 minutes to spare. I've mm-hmm. got to like launch into my day. And, you know, even in my case, like I have a baby and like a business right. and I could immediately answer a hundred emails if I wanted to instead. And, um, but the interesting thing is that if you take the time to do that, then the quality of the rest of your day increases in such a way that you're going to get more done. You're going to have better and higher quality output. And especially if you get that habit down, right? It's not mm-hmm. going to happen overnight. But once right. you kind of have that habit down where you just go out and that's just what you do. Like in my case, I strap the baby on, I take the dog with me. Um, like we all go basically. And uh, I, I didn't know that you were going to tell me that that was a good routine to have, but that's <laughs> something that we do. Oh, every amazing. <laughs> I love that. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, it, it's a game changer. It really is. And, you know, I'm, I'm extremely busy. I think yes. I shared with you that mm-hmm. um, I've done my own year in review of my HRV data, and you can clearly see in my HRV data when my baby was born. Yes. And yes. I would uh, posit that it is primarily due to the changes in my sleep that you can see that in my HRV. I believe it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And so, well, and, yeah. and that really brings me to something that is, you know, it's more of a, an, um, it's outside of the bell curve, this perspective right now in our society, but I think it's beginning to gain traction is that we have kind of an upside down pyramid or hierarchy of um, importance placed on certain things that we do. I think one of them is this concept that if we're really, um, you know, kind of approaching wellness, if we're saying, you know, okay, so I'm going to really, you know, shift my health and well-being. So my focus is going to be my food, my nutrition, you know, meditation, all those things, wonderful things, not knocking those things. But what I am proposing is that we have it backwards and that in order to do those things count onably and reliably, it's the sleep that becomes the top um, uh, area to focus, to shift to begin to learn. It, it does take some learning. Um, you know, it was only just uh, a couple of years ago that those uh, three guys won the circadian, uh, won the won the Nobel Prize for their work in understanding circadian rhythms and the the power that that has in our bodies. Um, so, you know, it was just in 2007, uh, 2017. So we've got a lot of stuff that's, you know, beginning to come out uh, newly, at least to the into the consumer, into the maths um, conversation, and it's an exciting time. And it takes really just some. Um, I think I mentioned it briefly, but you know, versus this additive quality that I need to get X, Y, or Z. Um, instead, this subtractive quality to our lives that often it's about kind of simplifying. And bringing it back to basics and what you're talking about in the midst of a busy life and, a, you know, being a relatively new parent and, um, you know, that 
something as simple as just getting outside in the morning. And, you know, there's a number of simple things that we can add in that can profoundly shift, um, you know, our sense of well-being, our vitality, all of these things. Um, and what you're doing is so wonderful and it's in training. So it's, um, it's, that's a word that's related to circadian rhythm. And so this entrainment is one of the things that we do. So while, you know, on a plus side, while those hunter gatherers that kind of can glorify that had such strong circadian rhythm because they had all these cues set up for them, you know, automatically, um, what was missing was, you know, they are often, you know, they would have a lack of safety when they would be sleeping at night. They'd be fearful that, you know, whatever bears going to come of a, 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 a tribe or whatever. Mm-hmm. We largely don't have those problems anymore. We also largely, you know, they would be sleeping on very meager bedding. There's no, you know, fancy gadgets there. Um, so our sleep quality has the opportunity to be extraordinary, um, you know, as compared to how it was. And all that's really missing are these behavioral elements that are around that entrainment of our circadian rhythm, um, ensuring that that is uh, kind of automat you know, the automaticity can come back to just our body working in a way that we don't need to be taking whatever external melatonin sources, which is, you know, really a hormone. And, you know, we're in a society that at the moment thinks that all this stuff is so normal. And yet right. it's sort of like crazy if you dropped a Neanderthal into this world that we've created right now, would think it's so bizarre that we've, you know, had it that this is you know, something that we, as a normal step, um, in the process of restoring sleep, it would just be so bizarre to take something from a bottle or have to, you know, plug in things and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's, you know, that I think that's a good segue. I want to, uh, share one story, um, to help illustrate in a non-scientific way sure. how, how this can happen. Um, and then I want to ask you a little bit about gadgets and technology to before we wrap up. Sure. And so the story that I want to share is actually about a dog. And um, my uh, in-laws have a dog who basically is better at telling time than humans, especially around the times it's supposed to eat. <laughs> yes. And so it knows somehow that it's, you know, 4 p.m. or whatever the time is that it needs to eat. And so this kind of led them to like do some reading about how does the dog know what time it is every day. And they shared with me a story that they found about some research that was done on dogs in the same exact scenario. But it was um, when dogs, when you go to work and you leave your dog at home, um, some people were, are they in the study, they were recording the dogs and what, what they were doing while their people were away and they would just kind of go about, do funny things, but, but pretty much before the, uh, parents, so to speak, would come home from work, the dog would know when they were going to come home and go wait by the door. Mm. And, and so they were, and, uh, there is a relevant punchline to this, but basically, um, they were like, okay, so how do the dogs know what time it is and that the parents are going to come home? So they had all these theories. What they ended up finding out was that there was like a slow degradation of the smell of the humans in the house. 
Mm-hmm. And that as the smell reached a certain point where the humans had been gone long enough and their scent was getting to a certain weakness, that the dog knew that that was when the humans come home. So it was just associative based on the inputs that they were receiving, which was the smell. And they were able to test this by like sneaking into the house and like uh, using scented clothing and things to to reignite the smell. And then the dogs wouldn't they would be all thrown off. Like their clock was just thrown off almost immediately. They didn't know. They're like surprised when the human came home. And they're like, what are you doing here? Your smell is still present, basically. And the reason why I think that's fascinating and sort of related is that we have all these inputs like light and temperature and even probably smell and taste that we don't even realize in our own conscious thoughts that are potentially training us in a similar way to have a sense of time. And it only takes like one day essentially to confuse that dog in that situation um, of, of disrupting that scent pattern. And again, like I said, non-scientific, but it might be illustrative of how the things that we do can disrupt our sense of time whether that's a smell, a a light, a temperature, something like that, right? So the dog is clearly not reading the clock, right? Right. Just because you know what time it is on a clock, which is a modern invention, doesn't mean that your body knows what time it is outside or inside. (laughs) Absolutely. No, and you're pointing to something that I think that this is another reason why um, I'm so passionate about this topic is that if you begin to come from the lens of, okay, I'm going to really take on my sleep. By taking on your sleep, it's it, I almost joke that it's kind of like a Trojan horse um, in that you know you think it's one thing and it's like, okay, to it, it impact my sleep, it's a straightforward approach. But really what ends up happening is there's this kind of surprise benefit that in order to make your sleep work, count audibly day in, day out, no matter your environment, no matter if you travel, you don't travel, whatever. It takes then peeling back the layers on all of these other areas that are either working or not working. And it can also take some, um, you know, both physiological, psychological, and environmental shifts, um, you know, that, that as you're speaking to some of these almost like what become these Pavlovian responses that we start um, attaching or subscribing to certain things that happen just routinely, um, you know. So with that, it it suddenly puts us back in the driver's seat, and I think it can be so empowering because suddenly we realize we're not just at the effect of you know a crazy day and all the things we got to do, and then we lay in bed and then we get frustrated when you know we're just laying there, nothing's happening, um, you know, not falling asleep and just how to bring back the power to ourselves, um, in this area. And the answer really lies in, um, just understanding some of these basic processes and it can be truly, uh, you know, honestly revolutionary. Like, so one client that I work with has now coined it jokingly, um, that she's using her sleep data as um, basically a barometer for her life. And she's, you know, um, she's in the dating process. She's a bit older. And um, 
she's, you know, as she goes through and brings certain people into her life or doesn't bring them in, if she finds that it impacts her sleep quality and her HRV in a negative way, then that's part of how she's determining if, you know, this is a workable situation or person or experience in her life um, across the board. You know, so it's a funny thing, right? To, yeah. to imagine that we would be doing that. And yet I think there's something interesting there. Um, you know, so we joke about it, but at the same time, um, I think that it's an unexplored area, um, that can really, you know, certainly in my case that I shared with, um, shared with you guys around, it acted as this final sort of symptom that became so unworkable that I had to change so many things in my life. Um, and you know, then when restoring my sleep and bringing it back, then I could get nuanced and then I could get into more things, you know, I could bring in some cold therapy and heat therapy and I could do, you know, the, uh, other little things to really send it to like extraordinary heights that I had certainly never experienced consistently um, around my sleep and well-being. And so that's, it continues. That's why I think it's so wonderful because it can be a lifelong approach to the skill set um, and learning how to really, no matter what new challenges or new projects you take on in your life, new, new human beings in your case, new kid, you know, having a, a new child that you're responsible for, you know, all these things are going to stretch, um, you know, your kind of count onable routines in new ways and challenge you. And so it allows us to kind of have a, um, you know, childlike mind to, what we could then do to put in to make a difference and experiment and, you know, become that N equals one, uh, you know, outlook or mindset around what we could do, um, whether it's, you know, light timing, darkness timing, playing with meal timing, you know, wearing sunglasses, not wearing sunglasses. Oh my God, that makes a difference in my sleep. What, uh, <laughs> you know, all the things <laughs> it's, it can just be so fascinating. And I think, um, to reawaken, the uh, kind of explorer mind in this area, I think, is what could be an exciting um, paradigm shift in such a overlooked or the thing that often gets cut when life gets busy is usually the sleep. And so I think it's time to start reorienting around that and start reexamining. Is that the way to um, to approach this area? So it's not good to regularly say, I have time to sleep when I'm dead. Yes. Oh my, I used to say that saying all the time. That was like a mantra. And I thought I was being so, um, like generative in a place of, okay, so I am just such a strong constitution that even if I don't, you know, I only got four hours of sleep last night, I can power through. Like that's a testament to, you know, my growth and development and, you know, personal, um, responsibility until, it became very evident that it was the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say that it's, I don't know if you've had this experience, um, but in a way uh, it's more, it takes more grit to tell people yeah. that you want to go home at 8 PM and go to bed uh, than it does to just stay out and be social and sacrifice your sleep. And that's what we end up really working on day to day is um, beginning to see that these small things that we do, you know, we're used to certain ways of being and we're, we're 
comparing ourselves to ultimately a maladaptive society because, you know, right now there's such large portions of us that are dealing with sleep deprivation or, you know, just subpar sleep or waking up consistently feeling, you know, not feeling rested. Um, So if we're comparing ourselves to who's around us, we're already sort of in trouble. So we have to then kind of become leaders in this area um, and start redefining what healthy behaviors could look like with at the same time not, you know, becoming inflexible with our sleep and not still having a wonderful and rich life. And, you know, so it becomes a a real balancing act of how to strike um, that kind of sense of equilibrium um, with what works and what doesn't and weighing the things. And then if we get off track, what to do to bring that back in. You know, I, I mentioned that I work with a lot of poker players. And so they are the perfect example of this because they are often in casinos and which are designed on purpose to be very confusing um, environments, super you know, no confusing. sunlights, super confusing. What so they're really, <laughs> what day is it? And they've got like heightened emotions and they're up, down, they're on roller coasters. I mean, some of the people that I'm usually working with, um, you know, professional players and we're talking mega money on the line. And, you know, so kind of, for that thought timing conversation, they're, they're up, they're down, their body's heating up, it's, you know, sweating, there's anxiety, all of those things that are activating processes. And then at the end of whatever the tournament or cash game, and then they're meant to go home and go to sleep easily. It usually doesn't work like that. So then we have to do a number of things to set up a workable, um, way of navigating that. And then even when they do get off course, then how to, you know, as quickly as possible recover in the same way that you might, if you had traveled internationally and you, you know, were dealing with jet lag, we don't realize it's something called social jet lag is kind of the term um, right now, how often we are putting ourselves through our own social jet lag whether it's, you know, we work a nine to five and we have a certain time you know, schedule, sleep schedule, Monday through Friday, and then we let loose, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever. And then we are confused as to why um, it becomes such a problem then to get back on that schedule. And, you know, this is part of it is approaching it almost in the same care that you might when you're traveling across time zones, doing that um, if we have gotten off track because it impacts our immune system, it impacts, um, our outlook, our mood, you know, the, the things, the, the list is really mind boggling what it does. So, um, there's also strategies that we can put in place to as quickly as possible recover from that as well. And it's all about that course correcting, you know, so not making ourselves wrong. Um, that was a real (laughs) pitfall when I was trying to regain my connection to my sleep, I would just try desperately, you know, okay, maybe meditation. Let me sit and do meditation. Why is this not working? I'm not sleeping. Like, you know, just that upset of trying certain things and not having the results that I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so instead it's kind of shifting our whole approach to that all, you know, all together. Yeah. And I think you're kind of leading right into the last line of thought here and how the gadgets and technology and things play into this, right? It's like, how can we sort of um, help ourselves 
hack that situation or or jumpstart our path towards better sleep or gain a better understanding of ourselves or just not carry a lead weight around with ourselves like you're saying if you're on, if you only ever interact outside with sunglasses on i i haven't heard anyone yet say that on the podcast <laughs> that you know basically sunglasses have a place right but if that's the only way that you go outside, then you're essentially kind of carrying a lead weight on that journey towards trying to optimize your chronobiology. Yes, yes. And that is, therein lies just how nuanced that this could get. So I think you really, you touched on something very wise here and it's and it's an exciting thing because then you can start to really re-examine and bring um, that new excitement to this area and start to just test and like have fun with this. Um, and suddenly the topic of I'm so tired, I'm exhausted, doesn't have to be so heavy. Um, certainly what I was bringing to it back in the day. And now it's, you know, one of my favorite topics from a fun, um, growth and development standpoint. And so what, you know, let's, let's do a couple of your favorite and least favorite technologies and they could be anything from sunglasses to, um, hyperbolic chambers or whatever in between. Uh, yes. and you know, what, what technology kind of helps, what technology kind of hurts. Okay. So, um, basically every person that I work with, um, one of the first things that we do, and this is, if you go into any sleep lab or what have you, usually this will be one of the top suggestions. And if they pair you with CBTI, which is, um, you know, cognitive behavioral training, uh, applied to insomnia, um, sleep diary, like uh, keeping some sort of sleep diary is one of the first things that people will mention. And there is a difference between our own perception of our sleep. Um, there's often something relatively common called, well, not common, or certainly not that, but in the, in the domain of sleep disturbances, um, looking at something called paradoxical insomnia, where we have this idea that, oh my God, I got no sleep. I literally, I got nothing. And yet if you were to take that person to a sleep lab, you would see sleep occurring. You know, it might not be as what they want it to look like, but there was actually sleep. So, um, when we get into self-assessments, it can be problematic because often our brain is can be playing tricks on us and we might not even be aware of the amount of sleep we're getting. Um, so that leads me to one of the easiest things is to bring in a couple sleep trackers. Um, and so one, I have people almost always wearing the aura ring just because it's so easy. I'm, I mentioned that I have like, you know, retirees and people 70, 75 that I'm working with and they're wonderful and they're, they're really excited with this and they love seeing this data and it's easy. It's not, you know, a big contraption to put on. It's a ring. Um, now, of course, if it's a ring, you're not, you know, you really do need, um, something connected to, to, to reading brain waves if you want to get nuanced on the sleep stages. So those are not going to be as robust on something like a ring just because of the facet of where it is. Um, so if you do want to get into that kind of level of knowledge, then something like, um, I've been enjoying the dream two, um, since it has, you know, FDA cleared, um, uh, FDA clearance around it's kind of readout for consumers. Um, on some sleep stages. So you get a little bit more information with that. And it also looks at, um, how many times you change, you know, even position at night and, you know, so you can get some, uh, 
in- interesting information. So if you layer even those two together, if you're willing to look sort of like a cyborg <laughs> at night, yeah. uh, then <laughs> my poor boyfriend sees me wearing all kinds of weird <laughs> things to go to bed. Um, it's, it's, we got blue blockers. We That's got when all you the know things. that you're right for um, each other. So if you uh, yes, exactly. like being around uh-huh. each other. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All the weird things. You're just like, oh, of course. Um, So, so those, you know, bringing in some sort of external tracker can be really wonderful and mind opening um, to, you know, have another test of how much sleep you're actually getting. Then, um, then things that can help us with um, that light, since that's one of the top down uh, approaches to strengthening your circadian rhythm. So whether that um, so there's even little, you know, apps that you could try just, um, for free that will measure, um, the lux output of light in our environments. And it can really be, even if you just do it for a couple of days to just start to get your brain to train, to see, oh my God, I'm in a Starbucks and it's only 60 lux in here. And then I go outside to walk the dog or whatever. And then we've got, oh my God, you know, 30,000. It's just the difference is astronomical. And if we're coming from the approach that that makes a big difference in the timing of our um, our circadian rhythm, then that can be eye-opening. So things like that are free usually. Um, Some like, you know, a buck or whatever for an app. Then you got your blue blockers. Um, There's some that are better than others and have outside testing. So some that I like are, um, you know, Swannies or raw optics. Um, You know, so the the leaders in that brand uh, really make a difference in ensuring that they're producing a quality product versus some of the ones you can get on Amazon. But even if you're just starting out, I, if you're not willing to pay some of the more premium prices, um, I think it could be even a good place to start with even some of the cheapies on Amazon. If, if you need sort of like a starter pack or something, you know, you can still feel a bit of the difference. Um, but you're going to get a whole other readout and change in your sleep quality if you do go for those more tested ones. Um, and then some of the other ones that it's, they are, so I will, I'll share with you, I'm going to actually be interviewing um, some some companies that are looking at things like weighted blankets. Those ones have I've seen really polarized experiences, whether some people are rave about it and say that it's totally changed their sleep. And then other people that say it's just a, a heavy blanket. What are you talking about? Um, so it depends, you know, on um, basically that's like those are some areas that's a big, you know, emerging um, kind of gadget, arguably for a bunch of different companies. So we'll need to see more testing on that to see, you know, versus anecdotal uh, information. And then um, I mentioned to you about the cooling um gadgets. Those can be really wonderful, uh, but they can also be disruptive if you don't find that happy medium. So, you know, some of the big guys are the, you know, chili pad, um, bed jet, which is like a fan that cools your, um, your bed. Then, you know, there's the ebb sleep, um, headband that I was mentioning that I'm testing currently. Um, and so all of those, they do seem to take some time, or at least that's, you know, what I've found with my clients and, you know, in our own testing that you, you can either, if you can find that happy medium, it can be wonderful. And then if not, it can be kind of disruptive to your sleep or distracting. Um, if it's, you know, becomes, yeah, that Goldilocks element of too hot, too cold. Um, 
And then simple things, you know, bringing in stuff like the, you know, the Epsom baths and, um, you know, some of the cold therapy, um, you know, so those have been kind of, uh, monetized, whether it's, you know, just the philosophy, um, you know, like a Wim Hof that can be interesting to bring the sense of urgency around, um, applying some of this or the, the benefits, um, and then on the other side of on the heat therapies, you know, getting um, whether access to a sauna or buying your own infrared saunas, um, all of those can really make a difference. The things that I get concerned about are the mm-hmm. supplements industry, to be honest. Like, um, you know, there's just so many things out there that I think if you're not someone that's testing could be um, – not only just kind of a waste of money, but also could be problematic based on your own uh, physiology. And so I think it can be important if you start layering in all those things to really get more facile with your testing um, strategies. So, you know, kind of trying to keep certain variables consistent when you add in one thing and having ways to see versus just subjectively, because there's such a placebo response depending on the marketing of some of these things. it's important to yeah to take a look at That's all huge. the information. And I think, you know that kind of um, outside uh, of just ends the conversation experience. in a way because we started at the beginning talking about the importance of building self awareness mm-hmm. and how some of these gadgets can actively help you with sleep. Um, others can help you just learn more about how you sleep or about how the things that you do during the day impact your sleep. And then ultimately, too, like HRV, one of the things that drew me to it in the early days, and of course, and drew you to it, is you can then see um, how it's impacting your body when you make these changes, whether that's to your sleep environment or to your daily routine. And I also want to highlight one thing that I think is pretty cool and why (laughs) we get along is that um, I asked you about technology, and the first thing you said was a diary. Yes. And, and so I think that's a really amazing way to start that conversation because, (laughs) Uh you know, there are things that don't have to be, um, like you said, plugging yourself in necessarily, um, that you can start with that are technology, a diary is an invention by humans. Uh, You don't see wild animals diarying out there. Um, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And yes, no, and you're so right, because then we can start with the basics on that. We can just like really just sleep diary. And then we can also add in, which has now become an automated diary, which is the aura ring, the dream two, you know, some of these things that just, you know, auto pull this information from our biology in a way that's very new. Um, so whatever spectrum you're on in your comfort level with technology, um, yeah, it, it just even the process of doing that is our own technology. So very astute observation. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Molly McLaughlin, where can people find you? Oh, so great. Um, Sleep is a skill is the website where you can also sign up for, um, if you haven't noticed, I tend to be pretty obsessive. So I have a weekly newsletter that's called Molly's Monday Obsessions, and they focus in on largely on sleep, wellness, um, behavioral change methods. Um, I send that every Monday and then, um, launching this online course around sleep called the sleep reset. And, um, we'll also be having out our, you know, podcast episodes coming up here in, um, 
the first quarter of 2020. So lots of exciting things on the way. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And, you know, I think uh, people definitely need to check your stuff out. Sleepisaskill.com. We'll also be linking to that from our show notes at elitehrv.com slash podcast. And Molly, uh, again, you know, you're you're not a, not too far away from me time zone wise right now, but I know that periodically you're on the other side of the world and that you've got coaching, <laughs> you've got your book writing, your course making, your podcasting, your emailing. You clearly have a lot going on as well. So thank you for sharing your time with us today. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for what you're doing. Again, you know, if I didn't highlight it, HRV is one of the most um, telling areas for that technology question. It's pulled from the aura ring automatically, and it just makes such a difference having people like you out there educating and sharing your knowledge and your, you know, quest for, you know, really just improving your life by using some of these, um, these technologies. And I just appreciate what you're doing and the partnership and Love it and excited for more. Well, thanks so much. Um, And if uh, you're listening, thank you for your time as well. And, you know, if you like what you've heard here, leaving a review over on Apple Podcasts is a great way to help me get more awesome guests like Molly onto the show and share more information. Because I have to say I have a selfish aspect of it, too, because... I'm always trying to improve and balancing a business and a baby and all these other things going on. I'm looking forward to digging deeper into my sleep in the near future again. So thanks so much again, Molly. The Elite Academy now offers in-depth online courses on multiple subjects. So if you're enjoying the content of this podcast, but you're looking for a more structured and logical progression, looking at the science and application of these subjects, check out the Elite Academy at EliteHRV.com slash academy.